Uh, we have been going through the Bible, but particularly the book of Colossians, uh, for the last while. We're nearly at the end. We've only got this week and next week to go. Uh, and we have been doing that partly because it's our habit is to try and let God set the agenda. So we'll pick a, pick a bit of the Bible and then just preach through it rather than preaching what Pete wants to say. We're going to go through it and uh, just let God set the agenda and, and, and see what he says. And this tonight, we're up to a little bit, a particularly light and fun topic, exciting about slavery. Yeah, you're all up for that, aren't you? This is great. Um, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to dig into that tonight. Um, do you mind just briefly praying with me that, that this would go well, that God would speak to us now? Oh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, by your delightful, life-giving spirit, may he please enliven our hearts tonight. Father, may we mull on your scriptures as we hear them opened up now. And Lord, may we creatively apply them to our hearts and our lives. May we obey you. And may our minds and hearts be refreshed and renewed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, things aren't right and wrong anymore. They're only appropriate or inappropriate. You picked up on that a little bit. So if we see behavior we don't want in children, it's, it's called inappropriate behavior. Now, sometimes it's a good thing because some things aren't actually absolutely right or wrong, are they? They're like appropriate in some contexts and inappropriate in other contexts. Just depends on the circumstances, depends on the time. So the word's a helpful word, but it became so often used, I think, because the whole even idea that there is an absolute right and wrong was out of fashion for a while. Now it's back in, and as we've just heard, in lots of places in Europe, Christians are wrong. Uh, there's a, uh, I don't know if you've heard, there's a guy named Stephen McAlpine, a blogger, and he wrote a book called Being the Bad Guy. Uh, about the, the shift in culture that happened when Christians became not the admired ones in their culture, just the neutral, and then actually point, point, point points another shift further on where actually we became the bad guys who actually people don't trust. Uh, now, here in this passage, God tells us what is right and good, what is wrong, but also when it is so. And that's what he's been doing this, this little section. He tells us about the way of acting that's appropriate for the different types of relationships that we are in. And that's what we're going to try and dig into today, particularly thinking through in this area where we've got an ancient context, slavery, uh, but thinking through what implications that might have for us. So let's start. We're going to read 3 verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters, literally, Obey your lords in the flesh in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, this verse raises all sorts of questions, and I think we're going to have to deal with a few of them before we can really hear the goodness of what it is saying. The first question is, why does God permit slavery? You have that question? I'm sure some of your non-Christian friends will have that question. Isn't it one of the most obvious evils that's ever existed? How could God condone that? We're going to have to answer that. We have to question that question with a few questions to provide some context. And I've actually got a question for us and for Hobart, being not from Hobart. Uh, why does Hobart still support slavery is my question. Because there is a slave facility just down the road from my house. Risden. Right? They didn't have state-run prisons in the ancient world. They definitely still, though, had a need to find a way to stop their enemies from continually attacking them. See, if someone won't stop shooting at you, what are you going to do? Well, what we do is we put them in prison. 
You see, the concept of incarceration is not something that we've evolved past as, 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 as sort of life gets better and better and less barbaric and less barbaric. It is necessary to maintain order for those who refuse to coexist with each other peacefully. See, the question, why would they have slaves when we don't approve of that sort of thing, has a kind of a chronological snobbery to it. Uh, something sort of this chronological self-righteousness that makes us feel us, that we are so much better. And it's a kind of naive at best, and at worst, it actually can be arrogant. Now, now as then, the word slave can actually cover a large number of contingencies. So the word that we get translated to slaves here, in the, in, as the English word slaves in the Bible, could mean lots of things. It could mean a prisoner of war. That's who someone could be a slave because they were that. Now, it's worth noting that in Israel, slaves were legislated by God to be treated far better than most modern prisoners of war are. To say nothing of the way that prisoners of war are treated at Guantanamo Bay and its equivalents used by governments all over the world. We're not very good at treating our slaves well, actually, when you stop and think about it in the modern world. Israel's laws were better than that. Now, um, you could become a slave, a slave, someone who's in bonded service, uh, because of a sentence, because of a judgment of a court in order to repay a debt. It's like a form of community service that would work out in the ancient world because you need someone to supervise the community service. They, don't have, they didn't have nation states with bureaucracy like we do. Slavery. Slavery could even be voluntary service entered into for social advancement. This is a strange one. Uh, there were a number of situations where selling yourself into slavery could be slow, socially, socially, could be socially advantageous for you. It, it could be a way to pay back a debt you couldn't otherwise repay. So in a way that's similar to some of our bankruptcy laws, and the Israelite law has similar provisions for bankruptcy using slavery as its mechanism for that. But in that sense, it was functionally an alternative to homelessness for some people, for someone who's disconnected from a family. Now, another way that voluntary service might advance you socially would be to gain the right connections. I don't know if you know this. If you entered into a slavery arrangement with Caesar's household, found sort of a, a part of his sort of retinue that you could sort of offer a slave to for seven years, you could earn yourself free Roman citizenship. Free. That costs a lot of moolah if you want to get a Roman citizenship. It is out of financial reach of your average person in the Roman Empire for sure. Do you remember that moment where Paul is talking to the Roman governor and, and says, are you sure it's lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen just as he's about to crack the whip on him? He's like, what? You're a Roman citizen? And they have this big argument. And he says, I, I paid a lot of money for my Roman citizenship. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, I know you got to pay a lot, but I was just one by birth. You have to pay a lot of money to get that privilege. And you could actually sell yourself into slavery to get it. Now, you, could, you might say it's sort of similar in one sense, this type of slavery, this particular type, to entering the army. Now, there's people here who know more about entering the army than I do. You can correct me. But when you place yourself in the army, the people I know, they're trained for a certain number of years, and then upon completion of their training, they owe the army a certain number of years of service. Certain kinds of scholarships, in fact, that you could receive are the same thing, aren't they? If you're a teacher in Queensland, you do your training, but then you have to go rural and you get sent off to somewhere whoop whoop before you build up enough points of your rural service, regional service, to come back and teach wherever you want. Now, of course, slavery in the ancient world could also come about just by the kidnapping of people and selling them for profit. Happened to 
Joseph in Genesis, right? Now, it couldn't happen in Israel. It shouldn't happen in Israel because God's laws on the matter. But, but it goes on, it went on then, and it actually goes on in our world now. Slavery of that kind. Now, the reason I go into all of that is so that when you see the word translated into English words slave on your pages of your Bible, it doesn't refer to the simple, often racist thing that we associate with the English word slave today. It's a much wider range of meanings. And, in, and secondly, that we in today's Hobart also put people in restricted scenarios for a number of different reasons. Sometimes for their protection, sometimes for our protection, and sometimes for fairness to pay debts, and other times because we also are evil and do the wrong thing by people. And so if God was going to remove all forms of bonded service from that world entirely, just as if you did it today, it would have made the place an utter basket case. It would have been unloving to everyone and completely impractical, as it would in our day if we did it, because we also have two. Now, that said, it's clear God is not a fan of slavery. He does not want his people to be slaves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says that all people should get their freedom if they can. Do I have 1 Corinthians 7 on the slides? Sorry if I don't. No? It's not there? Darn it. All right, I'll read it out to you. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21. It says, Were you a slave when you were called, meaning when you became a Christian? Well, don't let that trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, definitely do that. For the one who was a slave when called to faith is the Lord's free man. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Like, like God bought humans at an auction. Like a slave auction. Do not become slaves of human beings. It's an interesting little... It's an interesting little, it's obvious that God's not keen on human slavery, humans being owned by humans. But there's an interesting little instruction at the end there. Did you notice it? Do not become slaves of human beings. Why do you need to write an instruction to tell people not to become slaves? Unless for some people at least it was an attractive option. In certain situations, it was a benefit. But God says, not for you Christians, that form of social advancement, if you want to become part of Caesar's household, a Roman citizen, by this, no, no, you've already got a Lord. Your loyalty is to him. Avoid slavery, if at all possible, even the socially advantageous kind. Now, just want to foreshadow something that is not about their world, but about ours. There are some jobs in our world where I might say to a brother or sister, don't go into that job because of the hours that it requires of you, because God says to avoid socially, even avoid slavery, even of the socially advantageous kind. Just half a thought. All right, so we get to slaves now, obey your masters. It's, a very, it's very interesting that in this set of instructions, God doesn't distinguish between all those different situations that we thought about, does he? Like he doesn't say, you know, okay, so if you are a prisoner of war and you're being mistreated by these foreigners, well, then, you know, you don't have to obey. But the ones who, you know, the, the, the ones who deserve their fate, like if you're paying a debt off or something like that, no, you've got to do what your master says. He doesn't say if you're hard done by, you get a free pass, but, but, but if, you know, you really, you, you deserve this, well, then, no, you, you, put in your, you put in your hard work. 
He says, no, your master might be unfair. You might be a refugee, a prisoner of war, captured by your enemies. But don't let that stop you from being godly. You might find yourself in a very unfair situation. Don't let that stop you from doing the job that you have set before you in a way that would honour Jesus if he was your boss. Do your job. Work well for your master. Because you have a master in heaven. Ouch. Ouch. That's hard. I don't know. I I assume there's more than one person here who feels like you've got a work situation that's kind of unfair. How could it be that God would want you to make money for someone who's not a good person? Why on earth would you work hard for them? Why would you put your back into the work? Or as the passage we read said, my heart into the work to serve with a sincere heart. That does not make sense to our culture at all. It's not normal. I don't think it's normal amongst Christians even necessarily. You see, our culture thinks of life as I need to find out what it is that I believe in and, and know who I really am so I can be passionate and, and, and authentic and put all of myself into my job and then I'll be the real me and I'll find the, the job that I'll never have to work a day in my life because I'm going to be the real me in it and I'm just going to do and it's going to be great. Uh, that, that idea that I can't be passionate unless I really believe in my job or it's aligned with my interests. And Jesus says, no, that's not how Christians function, not how Christians work. The question is, who are you serving? And if you're a Christian, whatever you're doing, you are doing it for your master, Jesus. He purchased you fair and square. Cost was his blood. And you belong to him. And so Paul tells the Colossian slaves, because you are Christ, in far worse conditions than your job, I'm pretty sure. You can always work with your whole heart and soul. You always can. You always should. Because you're working for Jesus. Now, there's a few little helpful caveats here as we go through the passage. One part is the unfairness that comes with some of those unfair situations. If you've got a bad master. And the response here that Paul gives us is that we don't need to actually get revenge in some way, either directly or by just doing a terrible job at our job, because actually that's not your job to make that square that ledger. That's not your job to say, okay, you've got a bad master, so I I don't trust that the prophets are going to go to something very good, so I'm not going to work well for them doing my job. Jesus says, no, your job isn't to work down at this level in order to square that ledger. No, you do your job and I will judge on the last day. I am their master too. I own the whole world. And God will judge that person, heart, mind, soul, and actions for their job and their responsibilities. And he will judge you, your heart, mind, soul, and actions, and me. Goodness, scary, for my job. He is the great equalizer, not us. And we leave that to him. Now, a few things, a few caveats. This doesn't mean that in 21st century Australia, because you're actually not a slave, so you don't owe slave, slave obedience. It does, doesn't mean in 21st century Australia, you can't try and find a job that does align with your gifts and abilities and your passions. You know, some of us in Australia have that privilege and, and be thankful for that. That's beautiful. But that is a privilege, not a precondition to putting your heart and soul into the work that you've got before you. So God doesn't command his people to rise up and rebel against the Roman Empire in order to end slavery. 
He, he didn't say, you guys have got to do that to be faithful Christians. You've got to end this thing. There's a freedom that's even more fundamental that he encourages here. Let me go back to the, flick back to the passage. Obey not only when their eyes on you and to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. If I can get it to go one further forward as well. Oh, goodness. I don't know what it's doing. You guys at the back, could you get me to verse 23, please? Because you're just brilliant at this sort of thing. Thank you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Christ that you are serving. You see, there's something here where... In choosing to do the work well, even if it's your job to do and sort of at one level you're like, oh, no, I'm forced into it. In saying, no, I'm not forced into this. I have got a job to do, but I'm going to do it with my heart. I'm going to do it with my whole soul. You gain a freedom over your own heart in that. Uh, you, you notice, have you ever sort of realized that when you get a job, you can do it in one of two ways. You can do it with resentment and, it's, and it feels bad. But even if you've got exactly the same job, if you choose to say, no, I'm owning this. This is mine. I chose this. I put myself in this situation. I'm going to take responsibility for it, and it's going to be me. First of all, there's greater joy in it. But, 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 but there is a freedom to that. And that's the freedom that is being encouraged to, for us to take here. The picture that Paul here gives of the Christian slave is not a weak and oppressed and resentful person, but a powerful, giving and grateful person who has taken ownership of their situation and who has made their choices. And my choice is I'm going to do this job and I'm going to do it well for Jesus. Not because I'm forced to, but because I want to honor my Lord. And he, he I can honor with a whole heart. He I can work for. He I can give. He I can sweat for. Shed blood for. It's the joy of being given the freedom of self-control, the, the, the last of those sectors of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, that I'm going to actually choose with my heart to obey. See, what if one day you're in a situation, situation goes more along and along and along in Australia like it is in Europe. And as a Christian, you get paid out at work and you're frozen out at work and your boss is unfair to you at work. How's that going to affect your work ethic? Don't just work to please when the master's eyes on you. We work for Christ. Now, this is where we need to be wise, work out what's appropriate and what's not, because there are some people here who are constantly worried about whether they're doing enough at work, and they'll work hours and hours outside of their agreed work hours. And your job is actually to stop and say, no, not, not, not is it right to work hard at, at all times? Yes, of course it's right to work hard, but it's about also what's appropriate, what's right and wrong in each relationship that you're in. God does that. He says, it is right if you're a husband to do this. It's right if you're a wife to do this. It's right if you're a child to do this. It's right if you're a, a parent to do this. You've got to do the right thing for the right situation. And so be wise here. I think is a part is sort of the almost the meta narrative of this whole little section. Know what your job is and know what your job isn't. Know your employment contract. So that you know if I so you can look at it and say, actually, no, I agreed to do this extra overtime. So I'm going to do it with a whole heart. 
and or say, no, I didn't agree to do this over time. So I, with absolute guilt-free joy, I'm going to say, sorry, boss, can't do it. Bad luck. And go to church with that extra time and love and serve my brothers and sisters and have a great time and not feel guilty in the slightest. See, it behoves us to understand what are our obligations so that we can guilt-free say no to work or with a whole heart and no resentment, say yes to that work because I realise I've actually I committed to that. Does it make sense? Some of us, though, some of us know we're getting away with it. Some of us know we're getting away with it. It's just a job. Yeah, but the way you work matters to Jesus. You're not a slave to your boss, but you are a slave to Christ if you belong to him. So let's work for him. Don't just get away with it. Not just to please the eye of your, of your boss. All right. Now, all right, if that's so, my question then is, another, a different tack is, why did, uh, can you flick us forward in the slides to the, to the abolition one? Why did Wilberforce, uh, John Newton, bloke who wrote Amazing Grace, former slave trader, William Pitt, um, Christian uh, Prime Minister of Britain, and, and the rest of the abolition movement, why did they abolish the slave trade in 1833? Uh, if we forward to the, the, yeah, the, the white screen with the abolition thing on it. Um, why did they do that? They did that because God did command the abolition of that thing. You see, what happened in the 16th to 18th centuries between Europe and Africa and the Americas was trading ships, trading ships would, would set sail from Europe with a cargo of manufactured goods to the west coast of Africa, right? They would trade those manufactured goods over weeks and months for captured people provided by African traders who had gone inland to kidnap people from other tribes, bring them back to the African coast, and the young and healthy ones anyway, to, to be sold into slavery they would then put the, the traders from Europe would then take these, take these Africans who had been kidnapped by other Africans, put them in deplorable conditions, so cramped and unsanitary that many died. I want you to stop and think about the concept of dying from unsanitary conditions, dying from crampedness. So this is not just, oh, they were a bit cramped in the, in the, on the bus on the way over, right? What they would do is then sail across the Atlantic and sell those people to colonists in North and South America, pick up some rum, sugar and tobacco and take all that back to Europe. And all of that for ridiculous sums of money. Now God specifically says that the kind of thing that was going on in the 16th to 18th centuries, even if it had been milder than that, even if it had been with better conditions for the slaves, is sin. Even if it hadn't been for greed, even if it hadn't been for the murder, even if it hadn't been for the forced, even if it hadn't been for, for the way it was done, the forced imprisonment of a person to exploit their labor, the Bible calls that kidnapping. And it is severely wrong. It is outlawed in both the Old and the New Testaments. Deuteronomy, uh, could you flick to the Deuteronomy 24 7 bit? Um, is the Old Testament. This is. Um, if someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. That's how seriously God takes that kind of thing. And in 1 Timothy 1.10, this, this activity is described as the enemy of sound doctrine and of the gospel of God. And this sort of thing still happens today. And we still need to oppose it today. Sex trafficking, exploitative use of children in foreign factories. It's right that we consider these things in what purchases that we make. 
and where we choose to give. There are some really good organizations that are, that are working towards liberating women from enforced prostitution and sharing the gospel with them. Um, come and talk to me. I'm sure you guys know some others as well. But this is, these are things that God is against and we ought to be too. All right. Now we get down to, if you, could bring it, if you can get to 4 verse 1, that would be great. Oh, the, just that end bit. Because now we've got to talk to the lords, the masters. What I find interesting in this passage is that actually, it's, you know how it says masters um, and slaves? It's actually lords. It's the same word as this used for Jesus. Lords, do the right things by your slaves. If you're in charge of someone like Jesus is in charge of people, don't try to get more out of them than is appropriate. If you're in charge of someone at work, don't work, work them harder than you should to line your pockets. Don't attack them because you're upset with their work when actually they've just done the best that they could. But it's upset you. It is your responsibility to make sure that they get what is right. Provide them with what is right. You don't get to wait for them to push for it. You don't get to provide them with dodgy conditions until they unionize. You provide it. That's your job. You take care of the people under your charge. Secondly, don't just provide what is right. You actually have to take into account fairness. See, you see that there's two things. Provide what is right. It's not what is right and fair. It's provide what is right, but then do it fairly. Take into account their circumstances. Take into account what's going on for them in their lives. Be fair. Be even-handed. Someone's life's going along really well. You give them what they need, but then someone's really struggling. You've got to be fair and care for them and look out for them as well. Not just what you should, but what is fair across the board. Why do we do that? Well, because at least well, one reason is because not one verse ago we were told that your master doesn't show favoritism. So we ought not to either. All right, pulling this together into a, a, a more of a, a heavenly perspective, I guess. In Christ, we're all one. This is what we heard at the end of the previous chapter. There is no slave or free here at church. In that sense. Here, there, there, is, there is no one above or lower than any other person. The slave will face Jesus just like the slave owner will face Jesus from that time, both responsible for their actions, and all of us will face our master in heaven. And none of us will be able to say, well, my boss mistreated me, that's why I slacked off. No, Jesus will judge fairly. And the Lord can't blame his workers. Ah, oh, they're a terrible worker. They deserve the beating that I gave them. No. Jesus will judge fairly. See, this is the thing. If we're going to act appropriately for the situation that we find ourselves in, if that's the big thing here throughout this household code, know the relationships that I'm in, know the circumstances, know the employment contract, know the deal, know what it means to be a husband, so what I've got myself in for, know what it means to be a wife, know what I've got myself in for. If we're going to do that, the question is, what situation do all of us find ourselves in? The situation that all of us here find ourselves in is that Jesus is the king of this world. And that if you belong to Jesus, if you've become a Christian, then you are owned. You are purchased. You are like a bonded servant and your master is Christ. That is your situation. We will face him at the end of the day. Like everyone will face him at the end of the day. And he will not show favoritism. He will be fair. He will be right. And so act appropriately, brothers and sisters. 
in your world, wake up in the morning recognizing I have a master Christ today. Work that day so as to face him on that day that's coming. How about I pray now for us? Heavenly Father, uh, as I preach this sermon, I'm getting convicted a thousand times over both in the ways that I have failed to be fair to the people that I have responsibility for and in the ways that I have not worked as I ought to have. Father, please forgive me. Father, as, as, as all of us sit here, as we bring those kinds of confessions and thoughts to you, Father, we pray, forgive us. Father, please, in your spirit, enliven us so as to see the work of every day, the drudgery, the things that we might feel are, are less worthwhile, not as that, but actually to understand that the way that we work matters to you and will bring glory to you and is the point of this universe that you, that you would have people who honour you and who work for you, serve you as they ought. Knowing that actually you are the great one who served us first. So, Father, because of the gospel, because Jesus rose from the dead and is king, because he has offered the forgiveness of sins and because he has purchased us with his blood, we ask that you would make us into the people that you would have us be. Give us wisdom and insight, we pray. Amen.